Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome to a very special edition of the Bill Press Pod, looking at the most critical problem facing the planet. Now, of course, for the last few days, the news has been all about the messy end to the war in Afghanistan. That's important. That'll have a lasting effect. But we can't get so tied up talking about Afghanistan that we ignore a much bigger problem, something far more important that'll have a far longer lasting impact. And of course, I'm talking about the frightening reality of climate change. In a report released by the United Nations last week, Hundreds of scientists worldwide issued what they called a code red for humanity. There's no doubt that climate change is real, they argue. No doubt it's caused by human activity, especially the burning of fossil fuels. And no doubt it's getting far worse and a lot faster than anybody predicted. But, they conclude, there's still time to slow down climate change and save the planet if only the nations will band together and take the bold steps necessary. Jamie Williams, president of the Wilderness Society, is one of America's leading voices in the call for action to combat climate change. We checked in with him today to find out how bad is it? Is it already too late? And if not, what can we do about it? Jamie Williams, welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Good to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, So I want to talk about this UN report on climate change that came out last week. It starts off with a very dramatic statement, which is this, quote, it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Uh, So does that mean at least we can accept that now everybody accepts the fact that climate change is real and human activity caused it? I think we can. I think we can certainly, uh, what's clear here is that there's scientific consensus. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, includes hundreds of the best scientists around the world on climate. This document is the definitive document approved by 195 countries. And as you said, it is uh, clearer than it's ever been before that, as you said, unequivocal that not only is global warming happening, but that human activity is responsible, and especially the burning of fossil fuels, uh, which have caused the accumulation of excessive carbon in the atmosphere uh, at higher levels than uh, in the last two million years. So uh, I think the important thing now is um, to really uh, take the kind of action that we're going to need to take so that um, the kind of extreme weather events and impacts that we're experiencing in all of our lives uh, do not get worse. What are the manifestations of climate change that, uh, that you see today, which are, which are so evident? 
Oh gosh, it's just yeah. uh, it's getting worse every day. And I mean, just think about this summer. I mean, the the incredible record-shattering heat wave in the Pacific Northwest with temperatures in British Columbia of all places of 121 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the devastating drought uh, and fires in the American West. 93 percent of the American West is in drought. Um, California is had their worst fire season last year, and they're on record to. Uh, to break that record this year. And then, of course, we're seeing unprecedented flooding in countries around the world, uh, you know, in Germany and China, where they're seeing a one in 1,000 year events. So, um, and one of the things that the report really makes clear is that there's a really strong scientific evidence now that links the intensity of these extreme weather events uh, to climate and that these are only going to get worse in the coming decades. Uh, And the other thing that I saw in the report, which is unique, I think, in this report, is that the report documents that this uh, climate change, the the results of it, the manifestations of it, if you will, are happening everywhere on the planet, right? In every corner of the globe. Absolutely. You can't hide. There's no place you can hide from climate change on the planet now. Um, This is truly impacting uh, the health and safety and well-being of everyone on the planet as well as um, a huge impact to the to uh, you know the uh, biodiversity and millions of species that are being impacted so it's a it's not only an existential crisis that we're facing but it's an urgent one in which we must act quickly and I will add that um, there was a glimmer of hope in this report uh, which was that um, that if we do take, um, we collectively around the world take immediate and drastic actions to cut uh, emissions uh, over the coming decade, we could still meet the aspirational goal of the Paris Climate Agreement of not warming uh, the planet more than one and a half degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels. So this is really, um, we're seeing the impacts everywhere mm-hmm. around the world. We're feeling them um, and they're deadly and it's awful. And at the same time, um, there's hope that if we take immediate action now, uh, we can stabilize the climate ultimately and uh, still be on a pathway to a sustainable future. Well, I was encouraged by that message of hope, but but at the same time, <laughs> it was tempered uh, by their statement that if we don't act, it's just going to get a hell of a lot worse and a hell of a lot faster. Right? It's accelerating. And that's why the Secretary General of the UN called this report in particular a code red for humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is undermining uh, life as we know it. And if we don't act at scale, um, you know, the consequences are, are really could become catastrophic. So uh, the importance of taking action is really important. And uh, you know, we are seeing uh, what's encouraging is that um, uh, most countries around the world have not only signed the Paris Agreement, but have committed uh, or are in the process of committing to net zero by 2050, including the United States and, and President Biden. But of course, what's going to be really important are the tangible actions that we take to actually get there. So if there is a human cause to climate change, Um, there's also uh, a possible human fix, right? I mean, maybe not for a complete human fix, but at least slow it down to a point where we can live with the consequences. I guess, is that sort of how you sum things up? 
Absolutely. I mean, what we've got, I mean, it's fairly simple, even though uh, it, it's, um, we've got to be comprehensive about it. But essentially, we just have to reduce our carbon emissions on a global level to something that the uh, planet can sustain. And, we, and we've also got to protect nature and natural systems that naturally store and offset uh, carbon so that we can get back into balance. And uh, that's really what the Paris Agreement uh, calls for. So how much of it has to be focused on fossil fuels and either eliminating or reducing our dependency on fossil fuels? Is that the number one key goal here? I would say it is the number one key goal. Uh, you know, we've got to do both. We, we've got to reduce emissions and we've got to protect forests and natural systems. But we, but absolutely, we, we have to achieve both of those goals. Um, so, uh, you know, with, uh, we've got, we, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, there is a question about whether, I mean, certainly at one time uh, on this planet, uh, Mankind, humankind survived without fossil fuels, without the use of fossil fuels. But that's been a long time ago. Given today's technology, right, and today's economy, is it possible to have a fossil-free economy? Well, I certainly think we can get uh, very close to, and that's why I think net zero ultimately is the goal. I think we have the technologies in renewable energy. We're not just talking about um uh, shutting down our dependence on energy, what we're talking about is transitioning from uh, one technology, which is around extracting and burning fossil fuels, to another, which is clean, renewable energy, solar, wind, geothermal, which uh, has been growing rapidly uh, in this country. It's now uh, what, over 10% of our electricity system. And if we really focused on investing in building this out and reduced the subsidies we have for fossil fuels, we could get to a clean electricity system by 2035, which is exactly uh, what many states and what Biden is now calling for. So we've got to rapidly um, deploy renewable energy as we ramp down and phase out fossil fuels. Right. Uh, so much of this, of course, uh, requires uh, government or legislative action. Uh, I think it was in the New York Times yesterday, uh, I read an article where it's sort of a good news, bad news piece, Jamie. The, the good news was that um, there are almost no more climate deniers in the Republican Party. They don't go around like Jim Inhofe or whatever, denying climate change anymore. But what they do, however, do not accept, however, is the need to clamp down on fossil fuels or, or in any way put any more restrictions on the fossil fuel, on the oil and gas companies. Um, that's not good enough, is it? No, and it's not. And uh, what the uh, UN Secretary General said on this report is that if we if we don't ramp down aggressively fossil fuels, we will literally um, uh, you know destroy their planet, or at least uh, destroy our ability to live sustainably as we know on it um, if we don't do that. But we can do this in a way that transitions from one energy system to another in a way that drives the economy and uh, builds jobs and uh, will be a very prosperous future for us economically as well as protect our health and well-being and those of the uh, uh, species that we all depend on for our survival. So there's a big summit coming up uh November, right, in Glasgow in Scotland. 
mm-hmm. where the nations, uh, 195 nations or whatever, will convene again um, to talk about this problem and to commit to whatever action they're willing to take. Uh, I noticed in the report that this, the UN report came out last week again, they identify the top 10 uh, producers of greenhouse gas emissions. So I just want to read the list to you. China, United States, the EU, India, Russia, Japan, Brazil, Indonesia, Iran, and Canada. Um, Can't really count on all of them to come through, can we? Well, I think, you know, we've got to continue to work with other countries through um, the kind of international agreements we've been building to get to a place where where we are meeting climate targets on a global scale. And, and I think the Paris Agreement was very hopeful. I think we obviously need to build and strengthen that agreement in this next conference. But look, China uh, is the biggest emitter, as you said, and mm-hmm. they've committed to net zero by 2060. Uh, we know that... Uh, uh, we're the second biggest emitter, and we've committed to net zero by 2050 and to cut half of our emissions by 2030. Uh, and I think if take significant actions here, both legislatively and uh, within the Biden administration, we could actually achieve those goals. So every country is going to have to do its part. And uh, I think the best way to get other countries to do their part uh, is for us as one of the biggest polluters in the world to to lead by example. We need to show global leadership in solving this cri- crisis. And that's what really got us to Paris. And I think that that's what's going to get us to even stronger agreements, uh, which is what we need. Uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of uh, myself, a lot of friends of mine, uh, and yours, I'm sure too, feel so frustrated by that because uh, they're so concerned about the problem, uh, but they see this is really has uh, that action has to happen at a governmental level or a, fe- a national level um is there anything that individuals can really do to help things along well sure i mean you know we, we have to do everything and individual choices do matter i mean first you know we have to transition to electric vehicles so what kind of vehicle you, you buy matters uh what kind of carbon f- footprint you have in your life do you fly all the time so I, I think individual choices absolutely matter and help drive demand for the right solutions. Um, secondly, I think, yes, governments matter. We've got to solve this at a systemic government level, but governments reflect uh, the will of the people. And so it's really important for people to advocate for the solutions that we need. We have a once in a generation opportunity right now uh, to put the United States on a sustainable path uh, to solving the climate crisis. But that's going to take significant legislation and uh, action by the Biden administration, which is all in process right now, which, by the way, is happening because of the kind of advocacy we've been uh, seeing from people across the country, but that that needs to uh, continue and continue to be strong. So, uh, individual choices, yes, are important. Advocacy is really important because at the end of the day, uh, we need governmental action at a systemic level to really make the difference. Our guest on the Bill Press Pod today, Jamie Williams, who's president of the Wilderness Societies, one of the nation's loudest voices. 
uh, in urging action, uh, swift action, to deal with uh, climate change. And we're talking about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, their uh, report for the United Nations that came out last week. Uh, and let's talk about where the Biden administration is doing, what uh, the president is proposing, uh, and whether that's going to get us where we need to go. We'll take a quick break. and We'll come back with Jamie Williams here on the Bill Press Pod. And for today's podcast, uh, talking about climate change with Jamie Williams from the Wilderness Society, I can't think of anything better to recommend that you check out the Wilderness Society, see the important work that they do, and lend them your support. They've been around since 1935 with a very simple mission, uniting people to protect America's wild places. I've been a big supporter of the Wilderness Society for many years. Uh, they do great, great work. So important. Uh, so check out their website at wilderness.org. Uh, they are protecting 109 million acres of wilderness in 44 states of the union. They deserve our support. Again, the website is wilderness.org. And there's a link to the Wilderness Society website in the episode notes for today's podcast. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. Today's podcast focusing on the most serious threat facing the planet. It's climate change and... uh, it was all brought to a focus last week with the release of a report by hundreds of scientists through the United Nations, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Jamie Williams is president of the Wilderness Society, our guest on the podcast today. Jamie, to what before we get to uh, what President Biden has proposed, to what extent did uh, Donald Trump set things back over the last four years? 
Well, I would say significantly. I mean, he was a climate change denier. He did everything he could to unwind the advances that President Obama had made uh, on climate by threatening to take us out of the Paris Climate Agreement and uh, by accelerating uh, oil and gas uh, development uh, around the country and uh, weakening uh uh, pollution standards uh, and other sort of key standards. So certainly uh, the Trump administration uh, did quite a bit to uh, move us backwards, but um, but I think we're back on track uh, and have the opportunity now to actually make historic progress at the scale that's necessary to meet the problem with the kind of solutions that President Biden is proposing and that are being considered in Congress right now. Uh, is, the, is the Biden administration doing uh, what they need to do to reverse some of those steps that, uh, that Trump took, including some of the uh, EPA regulations that uh, passed under Obama that Trump pulled the plug on? Yeah, I mean, Congress and Biden uh, uh, reinstated the, the methane rule, uh, you know, Obama methane rules, uh, which uh, is enormously important because methane is uh, even 85, 84 more times more potent than carbon. And uh, we have no ne- technologies to uh, capture it now. So that would just be and you know, they're, um, they put a pause on uh, all oil and gas uh, leasing activity until they can do a review uh, of the program. And of course, they've, uh, they're doing a, a variety of other things to restore the more than 100, more than 100 uh, environmental um, important policies for our health and well-being that were weakened during the Trump administration. But most significantly, uh, President Biden campaigned on the most ambitious climate agenda of any president. Uh, he has uh, set, he not only has put us back into the Paris Climate Agreement, mm-hmm. but um, he's committed to c- cut half of our carbon emissions by 2030 and to uh, put us on a path to net zero by 2050. And also significantly to get to 100% clean electricity by 2030. 35. So these are, are really uh, critical goals that would put us uh, uh, on a sustainable pathway to stabilizing the climate if we can now achieve them. So it's been a really strong start, um, but now is where the rubber uh, hits the road with the kind of actions that are being considered. Yeah, I mean, uh, tw- 2030, I saw the president last week, and of course, he's a car guy. He loved getting out there and driving that uh, the, electric, <laughs> the electric Jeep, right? And, uh, right. Uh, but that's a, that's a pretty ambitious goal. I mean, 2030, it's just around the corner, right? Uh, so are we within the realm of realism here? Yeah, I, I I think we are. I mean, we've absolutely we need to be. I mean, what's real is the devastating impacts that's happening from climate change. So we've got to take extraordinary measures to meet the urgency of the crisis. And I think it can be do it. We can do it with the kind of investments that have been proposed, um, and uh, in the. Uh, uh, reconciliation budget mm-hmm. uh, and the infrastructure package combined. We, we absolutely need both of those things, which, uh, if successful, would create a clean electricity standard nationwide. Uh, more than 30 states have actually established some form of a clean electricity standard. But if we truly um, source uh, 
all of our electricity from clean and renewable energy by 2035. And then we work to electrify transportation. Uh, that, you know, that gets us more than halfway to solving the problem. So there's a, there's a reason why, he, uh, yes, he loves cars, but electric cars in particular, but you got to combine that with cleaning up and um, decarbonizing our uh, electricity grid. But those, those two things combined could be huge. And that's, um, that's part of the promise of a big part of the promise of the legislation that's being proposed right now. Uh, I want to get to the decarbonization in a minute, but the other thing that's important here, isn't it, to, to um, support the electric car movement are charging stations, right? There, and there, there, there are damn few of them today, you have to admit. Absolutely. I mean, we've got to, yeah, this is a huge, uh, I mean, this is about um, building a green infrastructure and um, that's included in the current infrastructure bill as well as uh, additional investments mm -hmm. uh, in, in uh, the other bill. But ultimately, yes, we need to um, build the capacity for electric transmission that we need in our, our electricity grid. We need more charging stations. We need to continue to support with tax incentives and other uh, investments, the expansion of uh, electric vehicles. And uh, that, but it's happening fairly rapidly. I, I think, you know, already it's amazing to, to just see what you see out there uh, in terms of the number of cars that are being used, but, but we need the infrastructure for it. That's what's key and that's what's important about these bills. Uh, there have been attempts. I remember uh, Congressman uh, Henry Waxman when he was in the Congress with a for carbon pricing legislation, um, which, as I understand it, means that companies would have to basically pay to pollute, right? Uh, pay per ton or whatever of carbon they're emitting from their power plants. Is is that the answer? And is that legislatively doable? Well, that's not what's being proposed right now. Um, there's a variety of different uh, issues uh, with that approach, but I, I think what's on the table right now is to um, both through incentives uh, and through regulation to uh, drive forward a clean electricity uh, grid that uh, would really put us uh, on a path to um, decarbonizing our economy. So um, certainly uh, there are components in it that would raise uh, fees for uh, fossil fuels and imports of that kind. So there is some carbon pricing, mm -hmm. um, but ultimately uh, what we want to make sure is to uh, deliver uh, climate solutions in a way that are equitable and that aren't uh, regressive and that really um, address many of the inequities for uh, communities that have suffered the impact of pollution and, um, and who deserve to um, benefit from the, um, from the jobs uh, that can be created. Could and be created. And clean. Right. Exactly. Uh, so uh, just as a tangent here, I'm just curious, um, we're talking particularly wind, we're talking particularly solar, uh, transitioning to those uh, sources of renewable sources of energy. Is anybody talking about nuclear power anymore in terms of generation and electricity? 
Well, it's a component of our system now, right. but I think we're not the, building any more new ones, right? Right. Yeah. No, I think that the you know, and there's obviously a lot of uh, environmental and human risk with that, uh, as we've seen with some of the accidents. But I think yeah. that the, the the real focus is on renewable energy and the potential there. Now, one one potential I would like to talk about is just the yeah. importance of our public lands. Um, I was going to ask you about that because if I could just jump in, I saw on your website. Uh, that public lands, you can do a lot around public lands in terms of meeting uh, our goals for climate change, uh, which raised the big question to me, how? So what do you mean by that? Well, most people don't realize, I mean, close to a third of this country is uh, owned by all of us in the form of public lands. But the thing that and waters. But the thing that I think most people have no idea of is that 25% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions are actually sourced from coal, oil, and gas uh, developed from public land. So, and considering that, that the U.S. Whoa. is the second largest contributor of emissions uh, to the world, um, you know, the, the, the way public lands are managed right now is actually a huge part of the problem. But could become a huge part of the solution. And this is within uh, President Biden's control because the administration controls and manages our public lands and water. So they uh, they have it within their discretion and power to align public lands with their climate goals. They should move to establish a net zero goal for public lands by 2030. And, uh, and they could get there by phasing out fossil fuel development on public lands. And at the same time, protecting and restoring uh, really important forest and natural areas that store, uh, breathe in and store and offset um, much of our carbon emissions. So when you talk about uh, the public lands uh, responsible for 25% of our nation's carbon emissions, these are oil and gas developments on public lands, right? That have been allowed and and licensed on public lands. Correct. Uh, you know, m- national that- park... Yeah, you know, when most people think of public lands, they think of parks and wilderness yeah, areas, right. and uh, and those are protected from development. But that's only a small portion of America's public lands, and the majority of our public lands actually have been uh, open for energy development and actually um, subject to extensive. Uh, oil and gas drilling and coal development, which is what's resulted in those emissions. So this is the Bureau of Land Management, correct? Cor- correct. Right. And I saw on your website, um, I think I thought 90% of their the BLM lands are open to oil and gas drilling? That's correct. I mean, they're a big oil and gas company, basically. Yeah. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's... Uh, it's- they are, yeah, they're our biggest uh, energy producer in the country. So who, who knew, right? I didn't. Most people, exactly. And and this is within the control of any administration, whoever's the president. So there's a huge opportunity to get your own house in order and show global leadership on climate now just by the policies the administration sets on the lands and waters that it manages. And, you know, these places are also really important for uh wildlife to adapt to climate change by protecting big connected landscapes, but also protecting floodplains, open space, forest, uh, coasts are, serve as really important buffers uh, to communities to sustain the impacts from climate change. I think it was on your website too. I saw that there are already 
<laughs> some uh, examples of a different use. For example, there's a big solar solar fields going in in some places too. One particularly outside of Las Vegas. Yeah, but, well, most of the solar is in the desert southwest on public lands. And yeah. first of all, I should say it's it's really uh, there's a big opportunity with public lands for renewable energy, solar, and wind. There's uh, over about a hundred projects on them right now. It's really mm. important that they be done responsibly and cited in ways that um, avoid impacts to uh, wildlife and to communities. But that's um, you know, the process that Obama really started with a program called Smart from the Start, and that's one we can build on uh, both on public lands and uh, offshore and waters as well. Has the Biden administration committed itself or made any steps toward redirecting the use of public lands? Absolutely. I mean, they, they've committed to uh, protect public lands, to restore the protections Trump took away and to protect other special places, but also... Um, to reform uh, the oil and gas program uh, and align uh, it and their pursuit of renewable energy to align with their climate goals. And, and they've made commitments to expanding offshore um, wind, for example, to um, you know, get us to 30 gigawatts by 2030. And uh, they could do something similar uh, on uh, the terrestrial on public lands as well. So on the general issue of climate change, um, I remember once asking, uh, speaking of foreign policy, when I interviewed Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, whether she was an optimist or a pessimist, she said, I'm an optimist who worries a lot. Um, is, <laughs> is that where you would put yourself on the issue of climate change? Absolutely. And I, I love that statement. Um, yeah, I think I think the most important asset we must have is our optimism, our um, belief in a better future if we take action to get there. And we can. And yes, we're suffering big impacts that we're seeing today from climate change that is certainly going to continue. But I think we all want to leave a better world for our children. And we can do that if we take the kind of actions that we know science has told us we must take and can take, which will make the difference in the long run. Uh, I don't want to let you go without giving you a minute to tell us um, about the work of the Wilderness Society and why that's important. I've been a big supporter since uh, the days when I got into environmental politics with Governor Jerry Brown in California. Um, what's the main mission of the Wilderness Society? What are you up to? What's important? What are your main priorities? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, well, the Wilderness Society works with communities to protect America's public wild lands that are so core to our health. Think about it. These lands and natural areas um, source our clean air, our clean water, and give us access to nature that's so important to our uh, physical and uh, mental and uh, well-being. So uh, our focus, uh, and one of the things we've really come to recognize is just how important public lands are for addressing the biggest challenges we face today of climate change, um, which we uh, have talked about in this program and how public lands can mm -hmm. address that. Also, racial inequities and the, the uh, enormous inequities that we have been seeing and amplified by the pandemic. Um, but which we see in public lands as well, uh, we, we want to ensure that public lands can equitably 
benefit all communities. Over a third of Americans uh, uh, don't even have access, walking access to a park. And yet we know how much trees, forests cover parks and being in them uh, improve our health and well-being uh, and emotional well-being too. So equitable access to the outdoors, especially for communities of color and uh, other communities who uh, have not had uh, equitable access is really important to us. And, uh, and then ultimately uh, protecting uh, a connected system of lands throughout the country to sustain the incredible wildlife and biodiversity that we have in this country. The public lands really make up the backbone of uh, our biggest protected areas and the opportunity to connect them together. So wildlife on the move uh, can uh, um, thrive into the future in the face of climate change and other threats. So those are, are really our big focuses. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, how much uh, I valued and uh, how much I got out of spending some time in the wilderness in the Trinity Alps in California. So um, everybody, I would hope, would have that same opportunity. Thanks to your good work, Jamie, at the Wilderness Society. Uh, thank you for that, for your leadership in the Wilderness Society. And thanks for joining our podcast today and uh, onward with the fight against climate change. Thanks, Jamie. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And that's it for today's podcast with Jamie Williams of the Wilderness Society talking about the big United Nations report on climate change, a wake up call if there ever was one to take climate change seriously and to get to work at the national level and the individual level doing something about it. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back at the end of the week with our roundtable with three top Washington reporters. We'll take a look at how President Biden has handled the disastrous end to the war in Afghanistan and the latest progress on those two big infrastructure bills winding their way through Congress. That and whatever else is happening this week, we'll tackle it in this week's roundtable. Coming up next on the Bill Press Pod. Stay safe, stay sane, stay strong, and come back and see us on Friday with this week's roundtable.